All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 23 of the JD Outdoors podcast. Follow me on Instagram at JD underscore outdoors 1773. Today, my guest will be angler Jim Root. You can follow him on social media at Jim Root Fishing. Today, we'll be talking about fishing a paddle tail swim bait. How are you doing today? What's up, man? Good. Uh, so, obviously, for the viewers who don't know, um, you wrote, I uh, will grab the book, Smallmouth Bass Fishing for Everyone, which is how I heard of you. And uh, followed you on Instagram from there and all of that. But you are a smallmouth guy. You love smallmouth and you know uh, quite a bit about them. So I would definitely recommend everyone goes ch goes and checks out that book. Definitely a good read, whether you're, you know, uh, just getting into fishing, you want to learn how to target smallmouth more, stuff like that. Great, great book. But uh, yeah, no problem, man. I've read it a few times now, so. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Can you give us a little background on your fishing career, how and when you started fishing? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in upstate New York, a very rural part of upstate New York, a town called Oxford. And, uh, you know, growing up back then, we didn't, that it was a, just a different time. And uh, we didn't, we spent a lot of time outdoors. You know, I'm born in 77 so i'm part of that gen x crowd that like we played until it was dark and our parents would come outside and yell for us to come home you know and uh we actually had this real even though we didn't have a lot in that town none of us that grew up there really had much but we did have this incredible fishery uh spotty water called the shenango river which is really where i uh first started fishing my friends and i we would just fish all the time uh some really good bank fishing in that river actually. And um, so I started fishing with my parents. I think there's a picture in that book when I, my first fish, I think it was like three years old, I caught my first fish. But uh, then I, my mom and dad divorced in 1990 and my mom remarried in either like 99 or 2000. And uh, so my step grandfather was a very avid So I went from having, I mean, I, I didn't really know much about how I was catching them or why. And then he really taught me a lot about fish behavior. They owned a really big piece of property, they just sold it um, like a month ago uh in smithville flats on the jenna creek and so i i started trout fishing a lot which will teach you a lot you want to learn about fish behavior learn about brown trout um and so and i also started to study weather at that time and about that time is when i was also in college and i wasn't really sure what i wanted to do for a career i just knew that i was a good writer like it was i I don't want to say I was naturally gifted, yeah. but my dad was a good writer. He really was. And uh, so writing was just always easy for me to do. And so I graduated with this bachelor's of science in English and uh, I had a minor in creative writing and stuff like that. Then, so I started fishing and I 
started to try to want to work in the fishing industry and that was my in there weren't a lot of good writers at the time and so that opened the door for me i was my first year fishing professionally i was sponsored by weather underground and the weather channel and i had a feature blog there so i really just kind of like blew up in a hurry it was like i went from being this like you know weekend angler on the aba to like being one of the first guys ever filmed in an open yeah. by a major network it was like you know a pretty big deal so uh and because i was a good writer it allowed me to gain access to guys like larry mazer and brandon palinick yeah. mark rona you know because um i i I want to say it's always weird for me whenever people say like you know that i know a lot about smallmouth or that i'm like you know i've even been called some crazy names like smallmouth some guys called me the smallmouth king once that's nuts to me like i'm not all i am is lucky because these guys who are legends like greg mangus greg mangus is one of the probably the greatest smallmouth fishermen that ever lived they just trusted me enough to tell their story. So when you get to fish with the people who are the best in the world, like Zona and them, then you can't help but pick stuff up. But also, you know, just being able to be in their presence and tell sort of their story and tell what they're doing. Like, I, can, I still to this day, I'll never forget the day that Mark Zona called me. I was in my basement working on my book. And I saw this number and I looked down at my phone and it said Traverse, Michigan. And I was like, hello, is this Jim Root? Yeah. Jim, this is Mark Zona. And I was like, I, I freaking just could have died right there. You know, this like kid who came from absolute nothing in upstate New York, where my high school guidance counselor told me I shouldn't even go to college. It was a waste of time was like, talking to the grand poobah of smallmouth fishing, like to me, that was one of the greatest moments of my life, you yeah, know? I, I so I just think that, you know, I'll never really feel comfortable with the accolades that people have given me in regards to smallmouth fishing. I don't consider myself to be anything other than just fortunate to know guys and be able to fish and learn from guys like Larry, Mark. You know how I met Larry? I was his co-angler in the ABA twice. Two times I drew that guy. And let me tell you something. That guy is a vacuum cleaner to try and fish behind. And not only that, but it, when I first met him, right, all I wanted to do was fish shallow. I wanted the flip docks. I wanted to run my square bill or my spinnerbait down like weed lines and stuff like that. And we fished my home lake together, Cuga Lake, and I had a great spot. And I finally, after like two hours, I finally convinced him to go in there and look at it, right? We pull in there and we look around and he looks at it and he's like, this is the spot. I'm like, this is the spot. And, he, and he's like, no. And yanks the troll motor up. I'm like, what are we doing? He's like, the only time you'll ever see my boat in less than five feet of water is if it's freaking sinking. You gotta be kidding me. But the guy ending schooling fish, he really is. And that really 
changed the way that I went about like breaking down lakes and fishing. And now when I fish Cayuga, you rarely see me in less than 20 feet. Even when I'm largemouth fishing, I'm out deep. Either cranking or chucking a giant jig with a huge trailer that's like nine inches long or, uh, or throwing a drop shot, even for greenfish. So dang, I was kind of a long winded segue into that, I guess, but- uh, No, you did a good job. Really, you us all the details there, it was good. It's really how I feel, and I've never really had a chance to address that before. And so I feel like now is as good a time as any. But yeah, yeah super lucky. Just like, and so anytime I get a chance to talk to somebody like you, it always feels a little surreal. Like, can you believe this wants to talk to me? Like, I'm not the guy. I'm just the guy who writes about the guy. You know, even when I have my like, now that I have a TV show, I still don't even, I still even feel like the guy. Yeah that i'm not the guy i always have a guest and my guest is the guy or my guest is the girl you know what i mean exactly i'm just i'm still just this kid from upstate new york that loves the shenango river and like likes to fish you know yeah and and to like piggyback off of what you said i feel it's kind of surreal for me to talk to guys like you and you know i just i had one with mark menendez dustin demarian nick kuzvis all that, like, it's, it's amazing to me. I'm going to tell you something right now. The first person I ever met on the tour ever was Destin and Marion. We were both co-anglers. And there's a chapter in my book where he and I fished a tournament together in Oneida. And, and I said that was one of my most memorable experiences I ever had. And now Destin is big time. Like, I don't know when Destin and I will ever get a chance to fish together again, but I still, I'm super proud of him. He continued down the path. I, of course, deviated and went another route, but uh, he made it. Yeah. And uh, I tell you what, man, it is not easy to, to get on the Elite Series is probably the hardest thing there is to do. You probably have a better shot of making the NBA that's what you tell yourself you want to do than to try and qualify for the elite series. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's awesome. Like I, well, the first time I ever met him, I was just kind of starstruck and, you know, like, to, to, like you just said to a lot of them, it's like, I don't think there's anything special about me or anything like that, but like, yeah. you know, it's, you know, I, I'm a pretty young guy still. So like, I look up to obviously the older anglers and whatnot that have, you know, been in the, in the uh, arena for a long time and they know their stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's a great dude. We, um, we spent some, some pretty memorable days together on the water and, uh, yeah, I look forward to see what he does this year. I think you're going to see him as good as he was last year. I think you're going to see him fishing. Uh, I don't want to say he's going to make every top four, but I wouldn't be surprised if he made every top four. You know, every, I mean, fish every fourth day this year. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Yeah, you he, know? he is a tremendous angler. It's uh, no doubt about that. And so the next question, which you kind of already answered a little bit, but uh, was what is your best bass fishing memory? And I know you said some of the ones with Destin are some of your most memorable, but if you had like one that sticks out the most out of any, what would it be? Uh... Man, I don't know. I've got so many. 
when I went to um, when I went to Malax, I fished with uh, Austin Felix and my buddy Maddie. Who I'll talk about Maddie later when we talk about swim baits. But um, my friend Maddie was with me, and he was with this other person that was fishing next to us. And um, you know, Austin and I were fishing these rock piles out there in Malax, and he broke off. So he was retying his drop shot while we were just kind of drifting and he came back up and went to get back on the trolling motor to take us back to where we were. And it was like, just as he put his foot on it and looked on the screen and it just went, it, there was like a tiny little faint spot of red and grabbed his arm like this. And I was like, whoa. And it went, and it was like that the solid red and we we're like <gasps> and we just like both opened our bales like this and dropped and as soon as we hit the bottom they were boom and it was like <gasps> oh my god and it was the most insane 25 minutes of bass fishing i ever had and, and i mean maddie was a, and um oh my god i can't believe i can't think of, she's gonna kill me if she sees this and i can't think of her name uh i can see her face anyways they were only like 15 yards away. But if you weren't directly on them, you couldn't catch them. So we sat there for like 25 minutes hammering them. At one point, I tried to boat flip a five pounder on this little uh, 762 Dobbins Extreme uh, drop shot rod. And, the, and it broke my line and, and she goes in her Minnesota accent, did you just try to boat flip a five pounder? And like everyone's cracking up and I mean, we finally, we were just like, all right, let's just like, let's just drift off it and let them fish it now. But we were, we were salty with them while we were on it. I mean, like a couple of times I would hold the fish up and be like, do you want to touch it? Do you want me? You want me? If you send your line over here, I'll hook him for you. You can fight him a little bit if you want. I mean, it was bad dude. It was one of the, it was one of the most epic beatdowns I ever had. But probably, I mean, if I did have to choose just one uh, moment for me, bass fishing, uh, got to be like um, probably fishing with Zona. Yeah. I mean, it was Pearl Harbor Day. We were frozen solid. And uh, it was just like that was, I don't know, it's just you're just fishing with Mark Zona at that yeah. point. Like, you know, I don't know, just crazy. Yeah, no, so. I can't even imagine that. That's awesome, though, for sure. Like, just just like a an idol, a hero in the sport, like being able to fish with him, I can't even imagine. I'll tell you another funny story. Every once in a while, I'll get, I'll stumble onto some little deal. Like, you just find some obscene, some weird bait that the fish are keyed on. And I had a moment like that at Oneida for like three days where, I just had this bait that I could catch fish at will. And Palinick was in New York. So he was like, you want to go out? And I was like, yeah, we go out. So we go to Oneida and I was thrashing him for like an hour and a half. And he even, I think he even said, he was like, you're putting the screws to me right now. And he went up front and turned on the 360 and proceeded to absolutely destroy me. I mean, was like, he was looking down and holding the spin around. He's like, there's a fish right there. 
and, it, and his bait would hit the water and he would turn it like twice and set the hook. Wow. And it was like 15 straight casts he did that to me. And it was, was kind of like, you know, freaking sit down back there, exactly. sit down. That's what I felt like. He was just spanking my ass. But uh, dude, it was, that was so much fun. There's another guy that like I've known for, I don't even know now, probably almost 10 years. Yeah. And uh, has not changed a bit. Same guy that he was a decade ago, even before. I knew him before he started winning. He's no different. No, no different. That's awesome. So uh, next question would be, and I'm going to switch it up a little bit for you because obviously this episode we're kind of leaning towards smallmouth. But uh, where is your favorite place to smallmouth fish? I know you touch upon it in the book, but for those who haven't read it, where is your favorite place to smallmouth fish? So I kind of changed a little bit. I, do, I, never, I don't like to say my favorite anymore. I like to say my top five because there's different. Like it's so hard. You can't pick just one. It's like someone saying, what's your favorite food? Well, it kind of depends, you know. So my top five places are probably uh, Lake Ontario, Eastern Basin, Lake Erie, Malax, without a doubt. Uh, there's a place called the Statue in the Susquehanna River. There's a statue of... Uh, it's a mini Statue of Liberty, okay. and it's a wintering hole where you can go there sometimes in December on an A-rig and catch like 100 smallmouth, and I mean, they're big. They're like, guys, river fishermen don't weigh their fish. They measure them, you know, so it's different. Yeah. And probably still my all-time favorite smallmouth lake is Lake X in uh, Traverse City. Michigan. Wow, that, that's a great list right there. Yeah, I still won't tell people the name of that lake, and it's funny. Even when I think sometimes, like, oh, I'll name drop it today. Like, I'll say today what lake it was, and then out of the blue, Greg Mangus called me today. So, honest God, and we're talking about how a bunch of lakes in Indiana and in Michigan are just getting beat up and destroyed, and you can't catch smallmouth there anymore, and uh. Felt like that was a sign to not name drop that lake. Still not time. Not until they do something about like, you know, not fishing there in the spawn or something like that. That's the most insane lake I've ever fished. It's just, oh man, huge smallmouth, huge smallmouth. Our best five was like 32 and a half pounds. Wow. That's wild. All on swim baits. Really? All on swim baits. Stupid. And we only fished there one day. Not even a full day. We were there like six hours. And then I had to leave because I had to go meet uh, Singer down in Lower Traverse City. So I tell everybody, if you want to fish that lake, you're going to have to go with um, the guide who took me. His name is Tony. So I'll send you his, like, uh, his contact info or whatever so you can put it in here. So if people want to know what lake that was, they call Tony, tell Tony that you watched the podcast with Jim Root and he said, was talking about Lake X. We want to go to Lake X. Like he'll take you yeah. and you catch him. I guarantee you, Tony's going to take you and you're going to, you have a shot at a 30 pound bag of smallmouth there. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. Good. Wait till you. And if you do go write me and tell me, cause I want to know, I miss that place. It's so good. And man, that's awesome. Like just, uh, uh, we started talking a few years ago and I was asking you some advice on Lake Ontario 
and everything you told me, like I went out the next day and did, and I was just catching fish after fish after fish. And I'm like, all right. So he, he knows he definitely, you know, was not BS in that book. Like he knows what he's doing. Oh, with yeah. Smallmouth. Yeah. So, and I'm, and I, you know, we messaged a few more times, asked you a few questions about Erie. And then I started doing some stuff you told me to do on Erie and I start catching fish. And I'm like, this, this is why being able to have these conversations with anglers who know what they're doing is so beneficial for newer anglers because like it lessens the, or it lowers the learning curve so much. Yeah. It's really amazing. Like what you can learn just, and we haven't even ever fished together. Like if we spent a day in the water together, the amount of stuff I could learn would be astronomical. Yeah. Well, it's weird because some people won't tell me anything. They like, you know, and I don't go hard for info, but I will, like if I see guys are like catching them, catching big ones routinely, like uh, Zach, like ZRG fishing on Instagram, that dude can catch them. I'm telling you right now, you can catch him because I saw him catching him up there. And I was like, what are you catching him on? And he's like, swim bait and a blade bait. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, OK. So I went up there with Anthony Lorfeis and we're looking for him and looking for him. And we couldn't find him. And I and I and he was at work. So I, I texted Zach and I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm having a hard time. Like, can you just give me a depth even? You know, he would, he told he told me he was in Shimo, but Shimo is freaking that's like the size of some lakes you know? And I put in a text to him. And as we did that, as I was waiting for him to respond to me, we drifted over some, some gravel and I hooked one of the biggest freaking smallmouth I've ever had on, on swim bait. And he, and I dropped him at the side of the boat, which I knew that fish was going to sting for a while, but at least I knew, all right, now I'm in the, I'm in the right area, you know? But uh, he wrote me back shortly after that and told me, and I was in the right place already, but he told me like the depth that I needed to be in. He was right. And I mean, I went up there like the next three days after that and the high every day was only like 37. We were freezing to death. But so you talk about guys who know what they're doing. Like, you're right. Like there are some guys who, when they know and and they tell you like, hey, we're smashing them over here or whatever, like, you know. It's good to have people like that that you can rely on, especially when you're looking at making a two-hour drive, you know? Exactly. For sure. You want to, you, you know, at the end of the day, we just want to catch fish, you know? That's, mm-hmm. that's what we want to do. That's why we, why we do it, you know? Yeah, definitely. So now, if you're ready, I would like to get into the heart of the episode, which is talking about swim baits and your favorite uh, rod setups, you know, rod, reel, line, lure, hooks you use. Swim bait heads, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. So my, I've gone back and forth with some different setups, but the one that I've that I've routinely like relied on is a Dobbins um, casting rod. It's the seven hundred three C Champ. Uh, it's really old. It's missing like two inserts. You know what I mean? But the act it's a swim bait uh i mean it's a spinner bait rod and i think it might be for square bills too but it just loads really well it's got a ton of backbone to fight big fish when i first learned how to throw a swim bait it was from my buddy maddie matt delinsky and he taught me how to throw a little like 2.5 and uh i learned on a uh, spinning rod because you have to be able to 
reel it slow and you have to be able to feel the tail when it's going back and forth. Yeah. But also I, so I got comfortable with it, but then I knew when I was, uh, going up to Lake Ontario to throw them that I needed to throw a casting rod. I, you could still catch them on a spinning rod, but you're going to, it's going to take you forever to fight those fish. They're yeah. freaking twisted out, you know? So, uh, that rod is a, is a, is this, that's the rod I used the first time. And it's still the rod that I use. And the reel that's on it is, a it's a quantum smoke that I absolutely have beat the crap out of. I bought it when it first came out and I've never cleaned it. I've never done it. It's just, it looks like hell, man, to be honest with you. Some fishermen would probably be ashamed at the way I've like taken care of that. But, you know, in fairness, when you're a writer, like I, when someone gives me something, I abuse it because most guys don't take care of stuff. So I want to, I don't want to know how's it going to perform when you're cleaning it and oiling it all the time. I want to know how it's going to perform when you beat the crap out of it, you know? So, and, uh, that reel is insane. It's just, um, I can cast it a mile when you get it dialed in, it's beautiful. So I like to throw it on between eight and 12 pound line to throw eight if I can get away with it. But, uh, floral not mono yeah now if i went back and i fished lake x with tony again i'd bring i would be throwing straight braid for those smallmouth because uh that lake up there has reeds that are like in florida okay. really tall like 12 15 feet high and the smallmouth sit right on the edge of them with their noses out in the water so you have to like cast like a foot into the reeds reel out and they pounce right there like right on the edge of the reeds and they eat it and they run right back in there and if and if you don't keep them out of there the, the second your line hits that they're gone yeah. it's like uh coral you know yeah so i always said that if i ever go back there again i'm throwing straight braid and i'm gonna pin the drag and there's gonna i'm not messing around with those fish i mean you got eight seven pounders in there like and not for and less than two well close by is where the new state record came from so uh you're in like really big fish country you're not going to catch a hundred fish a day but the, everything you're going to catch is going to be freaking you know massive so um but otherwise i throw eight to uh 10 or 12 pound line i don't I've never worried about them being line shy when it comes to swim baits. Um, I use a round ball head. So when I met the guys at Steel Shad after uh, like, you know, a year of doing my TV show, they asked me, did I, you know, you got any baits you like, or is there anything we could make for you? And I said, you know, to be honest with you, I'd really like my own swim bait because uh, I've been spending a lot of money on reaction innovation. And I was like, you know, if I could have my own, that would be amazing. And uh, so they did, they made this bait for me right here. You can see it and you can find it on the steel shad website. 
and I and they let me design my own hook. So now every package of swim baits you get, you get one hook in it, and it's like that. Yeah, right there. And the reason why you want to throw a round head is what makes fish eat this thing makes it irresistible for them to eat okay is not the tail going back and forth like this it's when the bait rolls from side to side like this when you're reeling it in and so when swim bait heads first came out most of the companies were making them to look like fish and they had a very aerodynamic head they were you know what i mean they were kind of like yeah exactly just like that and that's actually not what you want it will uh that is an aerodynamic way that like cuts through water and what you want to do is create resistance mm. and disp and have to displace water and that is what makes it roll and swim irregular from side to side sometimes even throw a football head just because it's going to create even more side to side action like this and if you throw this head and you reel that bait along the side of the boat in clear water with the hook in it you can actually see the hook go back and forth and actually we filmed an episode of my show at oneida in the river and there's underwater footage of the bait and you can see the hook rocking from side to side and they're like this you can see it and then it was like two or maybe my second cast while we were filming that i caught a giant like a four and a half pounder so i there are a couple guys i know who i taught to throw a swim bait mark heron is one of them uh and uh even when the conditions weren't great, I still caught probably like 15 fish on it. And there were a couple of times when I told them I'm going to get bit any second. And like, like I would cast and I was reeling it in. I was like, I'm going to get bit any second. And then I would just get bit like right after I barely finished the sentence and freaking wham, my, you know what I mean? And I'm like, there he is. Uh, I can just tell when it feels right like it's going to go down i'm going to catch them right now uh the reason why i like it so much is because they just can't they have to eat it i don't know why there's something that that in a smallmouth's programming if they see a swim bait in a and it's alone they have to eat it all i can think of is if you've ever been to like um bass pro or been to any sports show where they've got that hog trough or whatever the casting tank and they put little bait fish in there with the bass it's kind of like that harmonious scene from like wild kingdom where the antelope and the lions are all living together and like it's like how you know it doesn't really make sense but if you throw your bait and it somehow gets through that bait fish and one of them ends up straight from the pack, instantly every fish in that tank knows that there's a single fish over there and everyone in the tank gets nervous and they start swarming around trying to get that one fish. 
But when he's in the group, it's like they don't care. Second he gets away from the group, he's alone, he's food. So I don't know if there's a, if it's because it's a single, a single thing. Um, but the longer that I've done it, the bigger the swim baits are that I throw for smallmouth until now I'm throwing like six and a half, seven inches, you know? Yeah. And like, and I've had conversations with Brandon before about how we've thrown like, you know, big Roman swim baits for smallmouth and things like that. So, um, I don't know that there's a limit if they're, if the presentation is right and the fish are where they, you know, need to be. I mean, I throw a swim bait for smallmouth in 35 feet of water the same way I throw it for them if I'm fishing a ledge in 10 feet of water. Fish it right under the surface. Smallmouth will always come up. The way their eyeballs are positioned on, on their head, they're trained to be looking at, at stuff above them. You try and get a smallmouth to go down, though, it's like almost impossible. So that's what makes fishing a swim bait you know, an open water, so you can get them to come up for it. I mean, one of the best spots to fish on Nida Lake in the fall is right in front of the ramp between the two cans. And all you have to do is go right out there to the main channel and drift in between those two cans and just swing a swim bait. You can throw an A-rig once in a while. You'll catch them on the rig. But I think they eat the single swim bait better than they eat the rig. My personal opinion. But anyways, so that's how I came about with the with the hook and the swim bait that I designed. And I made it in three colors in like a, uh, it's like a white, but it's not a pearl white cause it's got some other color in it, like blue and red and stuff like uh, glitter. And then I made a, like a bluegill one and then a goby colored one. Those are the three that I made. But I just love the versatility of the bait. I love how, you know, um, Hell, I did that. I went and fished with Mazer, and we were fishing them on football heads, dragging them on the bottom. That was one of the coolest things I ever did, fishing them in the sand, dragging them on the bottom. And uh, he used his Lowrance to zoom into the bottom five feet, and we were in like 50 feet of water. So he's like, you have to zoom into the bottom five feet or you won't see him. And we're just being pushed. Like we didn't even have a tow motor on. The wind and the current was just pushing the boat. And then we would go over and you would just see this tiny little red hump. And it's because the smallmouth had actually buried themselves down in the sand. Mm. And so you had to zoom all the way in like that or, or else you wouldn't even see them. Wow. But, but you, you just see that little red hump and you count to like five and then your rod would go off. And they would take a six and a half inch bait with a football head on the end of it, which is going to add another like, you know, half an inch. And you'd get them into the boat and they'd have swallowed the, the thing so deep. You couldn't even get it out. You just cut the line and send them back. Like, so they just, that was in, I can't remember how, what time of year it was, but I know it was cold. I want to say it was like November or December when we were doing that. And I'm, and you know, you catch them in May, you catch them in July, August, September, October, November. They will eat it. I don't care if it's sunny if it's raining, if it's cloudy, if it's snowing, if it's 85 or 35, they will always eat a swim bait. Always. That's why it's so like, I just can't, I can never put it down. Even when I know that like 
they're keyed in on a drop shot and everybody's catching them on a drop shot right now. I'll be throwing a drop shot and I'll, after like an hour, I'll put it down and I'll pick swim bait up and just chuck swim bait for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And I know if there's a big one out there within casting distance and I can get him to see that, he will forego everything else to come and eat that swim bait. So there's nothing beats a big meal like that for them. Yeah. They're, you know, they're a main, they're a, 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 a hardcore predator in freshwater, ferocious. When I first met Brandon, one of the questions I asked him was, what's your favorite bait to throw? He was like, I don't know. He's like, no, no, swim bait. I said, why? He said, because it's so innocent and the bite is so ferocious. And it is. It, that's yeah. the best way to describe it. That's for sure. Yeah. I, 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 I've not had amazing days on a swim bait, but I'm starting to just learn it as well. But uh like the way that they hit that thing is just like no other it's you know next to the a rig it's one of the hardest bites i think you can get because like you know i i remember i i was just fishing honey eye lake you know a small little lake mm-hmm. and uh we stumbled upon this school and my buddy's catching largemouth all of a sudden off this point and i'm like all right let me throw a swim bait in there see what they want and of course the only smallmouth we caught were on the swim bait in that school, which I thought was amazing. So like there was just a whole big pack of largemouth and smallmouth and you're catching the smallmouth off the swim bait, but the largemouth wanted a, I think it was a rattle trap or something. It was, it was really cool to see. Well, when, when the, when this first came in as a prototype and, and landed to steel shed headquarters in Vermont, I went up there and we went to a nearby lake called uh, Lake Bomazine. Okay. And it was me and Stephen Price. And we went out there, and we were fishing for like an hour and a half. And I only, and I had a very limited amount of time. And I think I was down to like my last half an hour. Mm-hmm. I had like caught like two fish. Yeah. And I was starting to get bummed out. I was like, I needed a swim bait fish. It's like right now. Like I designed this bait and I'm with the guy who's put up the money. Like I, yeah. I got to deliver, you know? And I caught, I caught like a four and a half pounder on a point and then we zipped across to this other point and i caught like a five and a half pound largemouth and then a five and a half pound smallmouth and then lost another giant largemouth and then i was like i looked down at my watch and i was like i absolutely have to go right now if i'm if i make one more cast i'm gonna be late to get my son yeah and i and he's like you have to go don't you and i said i don't want him but i do but it was like that was one of the best half an hours, you know, of swim bait fishing I'd ever had. And man, I, uh, those are the days that you just that keep you like going back and throwing it again and again and again. Yeah. The fish are just, that's the thing about throwing the bigger swim baits. You don't catch as many, but the ones you catch are freaking just massive. Yeah. I'm going to have to start messing around with that. Cause I'm used to throwing like, you know, this little, three inch swim bait or you know the four and a half whatever this one is four inch and you know i want to start getting into i've thrown a glide bait around a few times but you know i want to start throwing the bigger soft body swim baits like that like the one that you uh have shown a few times your signature one i want to start throwing big ones like that i mean it's uh you start getting up there in those bigger baits and it starts to get expensive like i've got some og huds and stuff like that that i paid 
hundreds of dollars for, and then I'm too afraid to even throw them. They sit in a box. True story, they don't even have hooks on them. They just sit in there in my office. Um, but I think that it's a great place to start is on that three and a half inch bait because you catch a lot of fish on it. And once you, the name of the game is confidence, 100%. Mm-hmm. And once you establish confidence in throwing a swim bait, it is very hard to throw anything else. Cause you'll be throwing something else and you and it like calls to you yeah. it's like hey you like come on come on like you know if you need one i'm the one i'm the one that's gonna get it for you like and it's cadence too like i pick a song in my head and i sing that song and i and i reel to the rhythm of the beat yeah. and the one i usually do my fallback is that um that welcome to my house welcome to my house like that's the that's what i reel the reel to and if i'm going too if i feel like i've gotten out of whack i'll be like welcome to my yeah and i'll and then i know i've slowed it down you know and you got to have con you got to have good tension in your line cuz sometimes they eat it they come at you and if you if that happens if if they knock slack in it like they do sometimes and you got to get on it really fast because, um, you know, that like six, three to one is a slow retrieve. Yeah. You know, I, sometimes I, I think I wish the real companies would come out with something where there's a six, three to one that you throw a, a switch and it becomes like a nine, three to one, you know, <laughs> like, like all of a sudden it just goes, it's like turbo boosted yeah. or, you know, or maybe I need to throw a longer rod. I could make longer casts. And I can get a bend in the rod faster. You know what I mean? Um, like a noodle rod or something. I don't know. But for right now, I'm going to stick with that 703. And I'm going to stick with that 6.3 to 1 uh, quantum smoke. Those are, it's a really sick combo. I've caught a ton of fish on that. And uh, I can guarantee you in May that I will be in the Oneida River fishing for smallmouth on a swim bait right here that's awesome that is where i will be so will will you size down uh swim baits when you're getting dialed in or are you gonna just nope. start off with the yeah if anything i size up okay because once i start if if i if i start catching them and they don't get bigger if they start to get smaller then i switch to a bigger bait because mm, okay. i figure i've caught the biggest one out of that group that's going to eat this bait that i'm throwing right now mm-hmm. so i need to throw a bigger bait that these other ones aren't going to try to get gotcha. i need to go and like throw something that they're they just aren't even gonna it's not they're not more it's not worth their time i will never i will you would <laughs> only time you see me with a three and a half <laughs> but uh i just won't do it i won't I won't throw that little bait anymore. Even when guys are like, oh, you got to match the hatch. No, I won't do it. Wow. I'll throw I'll throw that white swim bait. And if I can't get the steel shed ones, if they're out, then I'll throw a white trash reaction skinny dipper. Okay. Every, and like, I would never, ever go down to smaller ones again. You just catch too many little fish when you do that. Yeah. And you open the door to catching perch and crappies and everything else. As it is, you're going to be beating off pickerel left and right, you know, but, um, and, uh, use super glue and glue your head 
Because if you do that, because even though they have a keeper, they still get shredded. But if you super glue the, just put like two little drops of super glue on your head and then push the swim bait the rest of the way on there and your bait will last like a thousand times longer. All right, I'll definitely have to try that out. You gave a lot of great suggestions there. You really uh, took that apart for us and gave us the nitty gritty on everything. I appreciate that. That was uh yeah, I love throwing it, man. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to go out, if I'm, you know, if I'm around, I'm not, I'm not, I don't get around. I don't get to go out up here much anymore. Uh, but I do try to block off, you know, like the middle two weeks in May to be at Oneida just because it's really, really good. Uh, so if I'm around and you guys and anybody wants to go out, hit me up. Yeah, we'll have to get out on Oneida. I've never been there before, so. Well, I'm going to come to Erie too soon. Uh, I was supposed to be there in November and it didn't work out, but yeah. when I come out, I'll let you know. All right. Sounds good, man. I appreciate that. So uh, kind of part of the setup question is where do you fish this presentation? You kind of touched upon it, which basically the answer was everywhere. Yeah. Is there anything in particular, like if for someone who's just starting off with swim bait, something that you would tell them to look for in particular? Rocks, ledges especially if you're fishing a river, if you're going, if you're cruising down the river and you look on the bank and you see like a group of rocks where there's like maybe five or six right on the edge of the water where they start and you can tell that they, they trickle down into the water. That is a sign that generally speaking, there are more rocks underneath them okay, and yeah. you'll at least get one fish off of that rock. Okay. You know what I mean? And so uh, if you pick apart a river like that, you know, that's the difference between going and, you know, only fishing the bends or the, the points and catching like 25 or 40 fish versus catching 100. That's how you do it is by looking for wherever you see rocks. If you can see rocks, there's smallmouth there. That, that now, not sure where they'll be set up. You also want to have current. The more current you have, the better. You can never have enough. Like even my favorite time to fish the Susquehanna is when it's flooded, but it's dangerous. And I and at the same time, I would tell people you shouldn't be out there right now. The only one I'll fish it with is uh, Robbie Phillips. He's the only one crazy enough that I know to go out there and fish it when it's that high. And when you definitely, I mean, we're talking about parking lots are flooded and like you should, there's no reason why people should be out there yeah. and we're out there. But then you're looking for current breaks where it's like you have ripping fast water and then it's not moving. Yeah. And you want to fish right there on the edge where it's not moving, right on the edge of that current, and they will be loaded in there. Well, that because, kind of, what's that? That kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier with learning how to trout fish and how much that helps you because like you got to look for the current breaks and uh, especially when the rivers are, or the creeks are flooded when you're trout fishing, you got to look for the current breaks and you're, you know, applies to smallmouth too. Well, they like that because, I mean, this is a double-edged sword for them. They like it because, you know, food is being swept down. Yeah. But also it's advantageous for us because they don't have all day to look at it. They have to make a decision quick. I'm going to, I have to, if I, if I second guess myself, that meal is gone. So I have to eat it or let it go. And also when they're, 
when they're in those situations, you know, their metabolism is working overtime because they're fighting current the whole time. It'd be like if you got up tomorrow and had to spend the whole day on the treadmill, you yeah. couldn't get off it. Starving after like the third day of having to do that, yeah. couldn't stop eating. You'd be eating non what I mean, everything that came your way, you'd be like, Give it to me, give it, to me. I don't care because you're burning so much calories. That's what it's like for them. So, anything you get near them, they're gonna eat it just like that. Plus, I guarantee you, when it's really up like that, nobody's been on the water. Oh, yeah, there's no pressure, of course. no, but the last thing you want to, I mean. The worst time to fish a river like that is when you haven't had rain and it's and everything is low or down like three feet. Because without current, those fish could be anywhere, you know. Not talking about tidal water. Yeah. Some guy who didn't really read my book just dropped a comment like that on Amazon, which I felt like wasn't fair because he was like, you know, this is not true. In low tide, you know, that's when you want to fish them. And I was like, I'm not even talking about low tide. Like I said, freshwater. Like when the water's low and there's no current, they get spread out and they're hard to find. When the current's up, they're predictable. They're on, they're on banks, they're on current breaks, they're on you know ledges, stuff like that. That's what you want to look for. When the water's low, that's when you're really going to struggle. But otherwise, and don't worry. Do not. First of all, the last one of the last things I want to say about that is like this is the hook to throw. If you can't throw, if you if you can't throw my hook then throw the freaking Strike King tour grade round ball jig head with KVD on the package. Yep. And don't do the last thing in the world you want to throw are those weedless swim bait hooks because they're junk. You can throw this through weeds and come through clean probably 90% of the time. It, I don't know why, but it won't get hung up. And even if it does, you can pull it through usually, but those, weedless swim bait hooks when you have that hook buried in there most of the time you're not going to be able to get that hook free to penetrate that fish in order to land it because what you have to remember is that hook the reason why it's it's so deadly when you when you hook them with this hook is because it's through the top of the mouth and they can't shake it i don't care how much they jump but when you have that weedless hook and you have to penetrate the that plastic body which is yeah. substantial yeah. and then get through the roof of the mouth you can't and the fish are going to come off yeah. and then you're going to become frustrated and say this bait sucks mm -hmm. and the guy who told me to fish it doesn't know what he's talking about <laughs> the guy who told you to fish it told you to throw the hook open don't worry about you know burying the hook that's not what you want you're going to take the hook like this and the cool part about these baits is when you if you buy this like three pack of swim baits from Steel Shed, the first swim baits already rigged. Okay. It already comes with the hook in it. So you just take this hook, take this bait, feed it in there, and then poke it right through the middle and then push the nose down. And that's it. That right there. What side do I want to be on? There. That's how it should look. You see? Yeah. What color? And that, is that what's that? What color is that one again? That's bluegill. The bluegill, okay. Sunfish. Now Zona, when Zona throws this, he rigs a stinger hook, a treble hook on the on the tail back there. And when I met the guys at uh, Savage uh, from Savage Gear Baits, 
that's what they were telling me to do too was to start throwing stinger hooks back there i don't like the i don't i just don't like the way the bait works they told me that i didn't know what i was talking about when i told them that and i gotta say those guys make baits so maybe they're right but so far i don't have the confidence in that to do that now if you can rig it up properly and get confident in that you'll never lose them you will never ever lose them but i rarely lose them with that i mean i i do though and unfortunately when i do it's fish that haunt me like that fish i dropped at the boat with anthony uh it was a giant dude it's it all the ones that you lose that haunt you yeah. and that's like yeah i've I've got those memories and I've only been fishing in tournaments and stuff for a few years and fun fishing. But when you lose those big ones, oh, it hurts. Back when I used to, when I was writing the book and then shortly thereafter, when I was only fishing for smallmouth, I would have an opportunity at a fish like that, like five or six times a year. Mm -hmm. But I was only fishing with the, like some of the best would just, they're constantly putting you on them all the time and you're, you know, and you're learning, uh, so much. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Really that fraternity of guys that are, as Zona says, twisted out on smallmouth. Yeah. They're, they're a pretty unique group of people. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's always awesome meeting like smallmouth gurus and whatnot because smallmouth are my favorite. You know, I, I need to get better at them, of course, and I also need to get better at catching green fish. But if I had to pick, most of the time I'm going to pick smallmouth just because I like the way that you have to fish for them and just the, everything about them. It's yeah, same. It's awesome for sure. They are. Uh, and it's so interesting because wherever you go to fish for smallmouth, the smallmouth behave somewhat differently. They look somewhat different. So it's like almost you're targeting a new type of smallmouth every, you know, every place you go, which is really awesome. Yeah. Yo, that's a fact. And for sure, the smallmouth below the Mason-Dixon line do not fight like they do up here. Mm. Southern smallmouth are... They are just not the same. I don't, those guys down there who've never been up here, they will tell you otherwise until they come up here yeah. and hook into a three pounder and look at you and say, I can't turn that fish. Like, like my buddy from Virginia did the first time we fished Oneida together. And he grew up fishing, fishing Smith Mountain Lake, which is a great smallmouth lake. And he's caught some big smallies. And the first, and it was a three and a half pounder that he hooked at Oneida. And he did. He looked at me terrified and said, I can't turn them. And I said, I told you. I told you. Yeah, they're they're different. just different. So, so. That's awesome. So uh, now that you kind of broke that down for us, I have a few last questions to wrap up the show. And then we'll get to the listener question segment, which you already answered. But we'll ask it again in case you have any more details you want to go into. But uh First one's kind of a fun question. And what is your favorite snack on the water? I used to be terrible at this. I, I used to not eat anything on the water. I was really bad. Uh, but I, when I first started fishing, I got seasick a lot. And uh, so I found that if I, if I ate, it would add to that. But now 
I, I almost never get sick. It's got to be really, really bad for me to get sick. So my favorite snacks are, I like the, those, what are they, they called like nice and salty, those granola bars from yeah, yeah, Walmart. Yeah. Yep, yep. So cheap, dude, but they're so good. And then, you know, it's funny, I, I actually, I started taking these with me and I fished with Destin one day and I saw that he had them too. And we didn't even, this wasn't even something that we like talked about together. We just each, I don't know where he got it from, but I got it from my kids. I used to pack these little smoothies, these fruit smoothies for them. Uh, and I, so I was looking at the ingredients in them and I was like, damn, these are actually like pretty cool. And if you rip the top off it, first of all, they don't have to be refrigerated, but if you rip the top off it, you can like squeeze them and bang the thing down in like five seconds while you're driving from like spot to spot. So I would like slam down like three of them while I was driving somewhere. And uh, like that makes a big difference in how you feel throughout the day when you're out there for, you know, and it can be, look, smallmouth fishing can be tough. It's not like largemouth where you can just roll up on a dock and pitch a jig. Like the hardest part about smallmouth fishing has always been finding fish. If you find them, you can get them to eat, but so that can be one of the most like frustrating things just because you've, you know, you caught them on a point yesterday, they could be 10 miles away the next day. Yeah. So, you know, you gotta be able to stay focused and not panic and just relax and tell yourself like, it's gonna happen. And then it does happen. But even I, my buddy, my buddy tells me, if I haven't caught him in a while, he'd be like, uh-oh, I see the pigtails are coming out. You turn into that spoiled little girl again. Like, I do. I start to get, you know, pissy, and I'm like, yeah, I haven't caught him. Or like, meh. But I'm not. I'm just getting upset with myself that I haven't figured him out yet. Yeah. It's like, what am I doing wrong that they have? I haven't gotten one missing. There's a. There's something here that I'm doing wrong, especially if you're marking them. If you're marking them and they won't fire, then it's user error. You are. And so that's when I, I have to sit down and like, you know, try and go through with what am I doing? Why aren't they eating this bait? And so it really, to if you stay nourished, that really helps you accomplish that, I think. So you kind of already answered the next question, uh, but if you want to add to it, you can. Uh, do you have any tips for staying positive on the water? Just to uh, not panic. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Um, I think if you're a co-angler, I would tell you to like uh, not second guess the guy ahead of you. Yeah. Like even if you think that you know better, you probably don't, but, but maybe you do. And even if you do, look at it as an opportunity to like, learn a different uh style or a different presentation or something you know yeah. um that's all i can tell you is just and i mean you're still fishing yeah. like yeah i mean how bad is it really like just take a breath you're fishing you know yeah for sure a lot a lot of the uh answers have been along the lines of that is like at the end of the day you kind of got to take into you know, take into account that you are doing 
something for fun. We're not, you know, counting on it to live all the time. And, you know, obviously the elite anglers and whatnot that are doing it for a living, they're under more pressure, but for, you know, us guys fun fishing and whatnot, or even in the local tournaments at the end of the day, we entered for a reason and that was to have fun. So. Yeah. I mean, even when you're competing, you still have to, I mean, even me, like, you know, I've been, this is my fifth year now, like, only working in the fishing industry like I don't have any other income for myself and uh you know I'll still catch myself where you know if I haven't caught them and I'm starting to get worked up it's like just relax it'll happen it always does you know every once in a great great while I might strike out but for the most part like if you just stay the course and trust the i tell myself you gotta trust the program you know yeah trust the system whatever and then it'll work gotcha thank you for that that was definitely a good tip there and uh for the listener question segment like i said earlier we kind of touched upon it already but the question is from uh you can follow him on instagram at rock underscore n underscore reels with a z uh also known as my dad but anyways he wants to know what are the advantages and disadvantages to weedless swim baits? You kind of already answered that and you said don't, yeah. don't fish them. There's no advantage whatsoever. The disadvantage list is like a mile long. I would don't do it. Okay. Just throw the throw that swim bait with the hook exposed and uh don't worry about getting hung up. You you'll be fine. Uh you know, there's no, the odds of you being able to land that fish on a weedless swim bait is just really small. Mm. So if it's that thick where you can't bring it through clean, throw a frog. Mm. Yeah, throw something else, yeah. Gotcha. All right, well, I wanted to say thank you again. I appreciate it. You really gave us a lot of good information on the swim bait. And uh, I learned a lot. Hope the listeners did as well. Uh, is there anyone that you would like to shout out? I think I did already. Uh, you know, I just uh, want to say thanks to my family and uh, just remind my brother that I am still the better fisherman. I'm the best root fisherman there is, Mikey. So, but yeah, man, uh, thanks for everything. Again, really uh, humbles me when people ask me if, if they can have me on their podcast and stuff like that, it's just, uh, man, it's a great, great feeling to be able to be uh, considered a resource to people in the fishing industry is just, uh, I don't know, still sometimes just uh, doesn't seem real, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. So. And it's, uh, I'm looking forward to the day where people are, coming to me asking you know advice and whatnot because obviously i have a lot left to learn so and i'm eager to soak in any knowledge that i can so these podcasts really help out with that when i'm having you know professional anglers and you know break down a bait for me because you know they do this stuff for a living or they're surrounded by it all the time so it's like who's gonna know best them yeah you're not gonna you're if you want to know who makes the best hammer you're gonna go ask a carpenter you know you're so it's just yeah you're getting the best information you can well the last thing i'll tell you about it before we go is 
like when I roll up to a spot, you know, I fan cast the area in front of me. And that is I, I throw it and it hits the water and I start reeling it. And then if I don't get bit, when I fan cast that whole area out in front of me and I'm fishing like here and then I'll cast like 25 feet away over to here and then over here and over here and over here. So I'm fishing like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. You know what I mean? Then I, then I start over again and it hits the ground and, or it hits the water. I mean, and I count it down like five seconds and then I yank on the rod to put tension in it. And then I start reeling it in and I fan my way all the way around like that. And then I start again, if I still haven't caught them, count it down to like seven or 10 with the thought being that I'm the baits falling at a foot per second. Okay. And you know, even though you start reeling at five, the bait's going to end up down even deeper. And then uh, if I still haven't gotten bit, then I'll make a couple of more casts and I'll reel it as fast as I can and like crazy erratic. And uh, and then if I haven't gotten bit, I'll, I'll that's when I'll start to move on. So find a different spot. But sometimes don't be afraid to fish a spot, go fish someplace else and then come back to it. Fish react differently. You know, uh, I learned that from trout fishing too. You can fish a hole where there are trout in it for two, two and a half hours. And then the dinner bell rings and it's lights out for 35 minutes and then they shut down again. So you just got to figure out, try and, you know, I think that's why they always say you never want to leave fish to find fish. You don't want to miss that magic window. You know what I mean? But how long do you sit there and stay with them too is the question. Sooner or later, you you got to catch them. So I did have one more question for you about the swim bait that I don't think we touched on, but uh, what weight head are you starting off with? Or do you just stick with one or. So I like a heavier head because it's a bigger bait. So, but I really, what I, that's all about the size of it. That, that head that I made, they used tin for the head which is lighter than lead. So it allowed them to make a bigger head mm-hmm. and it has a, a extra long shank and an extra wide gap. That way the hook gets further back into the body and it's wider so that you have an easier time getting the hook through the top of the mouth on that big fish. Um, so I think that hook is like a three eighths, but Man, I love a half ounce and sometimes even a like a three quarter ounce if I was throwing a a really big bait, you know, like a eight inch or nine inch swim bait, then if I could have a heavier head on there, then I probably would just because heavier heads usually have a uh like a thicker wired hook. Yeah. And uh those heavier baits, you're gonna be targeting heavier fish and not that I ever had a fish bend this hook, but especially like I was fishing in Keenansville with these swim baits and I hooked a couple of fish that, uh, the hook wasn't big enough. I needed, a, I needed a bigger hook, but I was, I caught my biggest largemouth out of that lake and it was like 11 and a half pounds. And I've seen even bigger largemouth in that lake. So there's some big ends down there. Central Florida is the place to go for large amount. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I keep talking about it on the podcast, but I'm trying to schedule a trip down to Toho this winter and I'm super excited for it. And I'm starting to do some research and everything. 
If you do that, you should go with Captain Steve Niemiller. He's one of the owners of Steel Shad. Okay. But uh, I don't want to say Toho's overrated, but if you were going to go down there just to fish, then you should either go to Felsmere, which is the brand new lake, or you should go to Keenansville, and Steve can take you to either one of those. Okay. Awesome. I'll have to get his contact information. Those are where... What's that? No, I'm done. You can go. Oh, that's the, uh, you know, they don't get the same amount of pressure. And um, when people have a bait that, the yeah, I mean, I'm talking about like the um, the Timmy Hortons and like JT Kenny and the, the guys that are from Florida. Yeah. If you were a bait guy and you were like, hey, man, I'll pay you five grand to uh, let me come down to Florida and we'll shoot a video with this new bait I got. They're going to take you to Keenansville yeah. because that is uh, just a big bass factory. When we fished with Captain Steve in one day, uh, Emily Hamilton caught a 10 and a half pounder and I caught uh, one that was like just under 11 and a half. And then I couldn't even tell you how many nines and eights and sevens we caught, but legit we were shaking off five pounders and that is no lie. Like that is the, shaking off five it's just oh it's just another five pounder like i can't even imagine it was the best two days of largemouth fishing i ever had so right. go with captain steve and go to keenansville all right i'll have to take that in addition right. i appreciate it thank you yeah man so um to wrap up the show i want to say thank you to everyone for listening uh, tune in for episode number 24 which should be coming out on monday and the podcast, as always, is brought to you by Wu Tunston, Tacticalories, X-Zone Lures, and JD Outdoors Lure Co. Thank you again. Thanks, buddy.